Hi, welcome back. Mark McCrory, pastor here in Arizona, sharing with you some of the foundational uh, views of uh, our Christian our Christian worldview. Uh, these are some of the foundational things that uh, can really shape the way that we see the world and who God is and who we are and how we interact. And today we're getting into the topic of the church, the Christian church here on earth and how God uses the church still today, as again, often called the body of Christ. So if you're following along with a handout, uh, that's a PDF file, hopefully you've got the link to that and uh, online or uh, printed out and fill in the blanks the old school way if you like. Uh, but lesson 16, uh, it's page 20 in that handbook, but lesson 16, it's called the Holy Christian Church. And uh, first let's just talk about the word church. Uh, because we use it a lot, uh, but specifically here, we're talking about the communion of saints for all who believe in and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's everybody, it's every person who trusts in Christ for their forgiveness, life, and salvation. And that's regardless of what denomination that they go to, what earthly church building they attend or watch online on any given week. The communion of all true believers is sometimes referred to as the universal church. That word universal. Uh, only God knows the heart and who is a part of the true or invisible church, sometimes it's called. And uh, this is, uh, again, all believers, all people who have faith in Jesus Christ are considered a, this one church capital C church. Now what we usually mean when we say the word church is the, the group of people gathered or the building. And number two here, uh, that's with a visible church. It's visible. Uh, the visible church is the whole number of those who use the word of God and profess Christian faith, uh, but among whom besides true Christians there are also unbelievers. And there's a reference there for the small catechism, uh, uh, question 177. Uh, number three, the Holy Christian Church is to be found where the gospel is preached in its purity and the holy sacraments are administered according to the gospel. The gospel and the sacraments are called the marks of the church, uh, the signs of the church. How do you identify uh, a uh, Christian church? Uh, the Word of God is preached in its purity and its authenticity and the sacraments, the grace of God is, is delivered to people there. Now uh, Roman number two uh, talks about the, the uses of the, that word church that we use so often. Uh, there's the invisible church, which we talked about, that universal church. The visible church that we think of as uh, maybe uh, a, a gathering of people and then there's we use the word church to talk about denominations like I go to the Baptist church or a Lutheran church or a Catholic church we also use the word church to talk about a local congregation just one specific uh, church congregation and then we also call the buildings right the houses of worship we even use the word church in that case too so it can get kind of confusing uh, but again we want to focus on uh, the body of Christ, the big church, big C, the universal church, what we're talking about. 
just a little footnote here. The Holy Catholic Church, uh, that word Catholic is uh, uh, just means uh, universal. So uh, when you see all uh, capital C Catholic Church, you're talking about the Roman Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but the word Catholic in itself uh, just means universal. And so sometimes other denominations besides Roman Catholics will, might use the word Catholic to describe uh, their participation in the one universal church here on earth. And that's fine. One of the great blessings that God gives to people on earth uh, through the church uh, is the means of grace. And that's the next lesson, lesson 17. Talk about the instruments of the Spirit is maybe one way to talk about it. Uh, what does that concept even mean? The means of grace. Well, let's just say uh, a friend of mine and I are talking about our faith and I say something like, baptism saves me. And my friend says, pah, no, Jesus saves me. What are we, how are we miscommunicating there? Or what's the, uh, where are we not uh, aligning there? Well, let's talk about the means of grace. If, uh, let me give you an example here. Let's say you uh, wanted to build a, a rustic cabin uh, near a lake, out in the woods, just to enjoy some, uh, some time of uh, getting away from it all. But you realize you do need water for your cabin, and there's a lake down at the bottom of the hill. Well, what are some ways that you could get water from the lake up to your cabin? First thing most people say is buckets. Right, you could carry in buckets. You get a bucket brigade, passing it down, up and down the hill. Okay, that's one way. Is there another way that we get water from the lake up to our rustic cabin? Well, we could maybe use a pump, right? If we had a pipe running down to the lake and just pump that water up to the cabin. And just for the sake of argument, let's just come up with a third way. Uh, maybe a truck, a water truck could come. Uh, fill up at the lake, drive up to the cabin, dump it uh, out in the cistern, uh, some storage there at the cabin. So whatever. These are uh, three ways to get water from the lake up to my cabin. Now, is it different water? No. Right? It's the same water. These are just different ways or different means of delivering that water to the cabin. So when we talk about the means of grace, we're talking about what are the different ways that God delivers his good gifts to me personally. Um, so when I said baptism saves me, I don't mean uh, some outward ritual act uh, saving. What I mean is that baptism is that conduit that delivers Jesus, the same Jesus, uh, but that's one of the ways that God delivers his grace to me and to you and to all people. Now, big question is, uh, well, could God do it another way? Could God save somebody by some other means? Yes, but it's a 
silly question. Uh, if you ask, can God do fill in the blank? Well, he's God. Of course he can. Uh, the question we want to ask here, though, is what has God promised in his word? What has God told us about how he delivers his grace to us? And when we go to the scriptures for that answer, uh, it, it's very clear. So let's talk about the means of grace here on this next slide. These, uh, number one, these are the means, right, or the ways through which the Holy Spirit works to create saving faith and to sanctify us, which means, again, to make us holy and to keep us in the faith. They are the means through which the Holy Spirit works to bring us into Christ's body, the church, and keep us in this saving faith. Number two, Christ died and rose to forgive, uh, to give forgiveness, life, and salvation to the whole world. And this is known as objective justification. If something is objective, it is outside of yourself. Uh, justification means to be saved, essentially. Uh, so the work of saving people from their sins was done without our help, without our input. Jesus did it all. And it happened at a specific time and place in the universe and history. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, that was the price for every sin that's ever been committed, is, ever will be committed by every single human who's ever lived, is living, or ever will live. It's absolutely, completely, totally, 100% paid for in full. 1 John 2, verse 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, there is no limited atonement. There's no limit to the amount of forgiveness that Jesus paid for. Uh, Jesus paid for all sins. Now, this is where we're getting to the means of grace. So that's good. All the sins have been forgiven. How does that get applied uh, to my life? Or you think about it like to my record. How does it get expunged? If you want to think about it that way. Number three, the means of grace are those means through which the Holy Spirit works to give you and me personally the benefits and gifts of Christ's work in his life, death, and resurrection accomplished for the whole world. See, this is known as subjective justification. So we talk about objective justification. These are big theological words. Again, these are really foundational uh, for this Christian worldview, the way we see th how God works. So all of our sins have been forgiven. And then uh, when we receive that forgiveness personally by the gift and the means of the Holy Spirit, uh, it is subjective, it is applied to me. Not, uh, I know that word maybe gets used in different contexts nowadays, uh, but strictly speaking in the theological sense, uh, applied to me personally. Uh, the next slide, uh, Roman number two. Well, uh, if, if these means of grace are so wonderful and this is how God works, what are they? How do we get more of it? Uh, what are the means of grace? Well, we think of three things here, typically. Uh, number one, God's word. 
right? The Word of God is one of the ways the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of people through the very Word. Uh, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. So when we share the gospel, when we simply tell that wonderful story of what Jesus did for us on the cross, his resurrection for our eternal life, uh, God's immeasurable, immutable, never changing uh, love for us, the Holy Spirit is working through that word uh, in the hearts of the hearer. That's one of the means, one of the ways. Uh, another means of grace are uh, the sacraments. We'll break those down into there's different ones, uh, but we talk about word and sacrament ministry here a lot in our church uh, because it's through the word and the sacraments that the Holy Spirit does his thing. Uh, that's how we know God's at work because he, he, he promises to work through the word and the sacraments. Uh, so what does this uh, word sacrament mean here? Uh, the word sacrament literally means that it's a mystery. It's a mystery. It, how God works and it continues to strengthen faith and save people uh, in the world ongoing. It's just all a mystery to human minds. But these are the things that uh, kind of identify what a sacrament is. Number one, it is instituted by Jesus. Um, so Jesus said, do this. And then that's number one. Number two, in which God joins his word and a visible element. So, Jesus institutes it, commands it. It's God's word joined with a physical element, something in this world. And then number three, through which God offers, gives, and seals the forgiveness of sins. Of course, earned, earned by Christ. Um, so there are... Uh, a few things in scripture that meet these criteria. When we talk about how many sacraments are there, uh, well, baptism is one. It was instituted by Jesus. Go therefore and baptize, okay? Uh, it is a uh, God's word combined with a physical element, the water. And then number three, it's for the forgiveness of sins. It is, again, that means of grace. It is one of the ways that God delivers his forgiveness. Uh, number two, Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Another thing, Jesus instituted it. It is God's word combined with a physical element. Here you have bread and wine. And it is, as Jesus said, for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so when you see those things, combined, you recognize this is a sacrament. This is one of the means of grace. Uh, now, uh, some churches have uh, list more sacraments than just those two. Uh, some have as many as seven. But even in those churches uh, where there are seven sacraments, uh, baptism and communion are at the top of the list. They're the highest priority, the most emphasized uh, most important, if you will. Uh, we do have, from my faith uh, tradition, um, there has uh, historically been some conversations about a third sacrament being 
confession and absolution. So if you come to our church or, or you watch online, you realize every service begins with this uh, corporate, the whole body of Christ, we confess our sins, and then we receive that uh, forgiveness of sins uh, through the pastor, but from, from Jesus uh, each and every week. And uh, of course that's commanded by God, uh, sorry, instituted by Jesus uh, to forgive each other their sins. John 20, Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Um, and it obviously, the third one, it's for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, the only questionable point is if it's a sacrament or not, is the second one, which is uh, God's word combined with a visible element. And so it's kind of like, is there a visible element with confession and absolution? And uh, some would say, well, no, there's no water, bread, wine, anything like that. Uh, other people might say, well, yeah, there kind of is because the pastor is standing there and speaking those words. Um, physically, I don't know, sound waves are flying through the air and striking our eardrums. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's the introduction there to the sacraments. So means of grace, big picture, right? How does God deliver his good gifts to his people? Uh, word and sacrament, right, are two of uh, these means of grace. Now we're going to look at sacraments. We're going to break down uh, the sacraments. We're going to talk about baptism today. And then in the next lesson, we'll pick up um, communion. All right, so uh, lesson 18, what is baptism? Well, we know it's all about Jesus, right? Everything, it's all, all everything points to Jesus, flows from Jesus, is, uh, gives honor and glory to Jesus uh, for his, his work for us. All right, so this is here on this slide, this is straight from Martin Luther's small catechism. I'm just reading right from the catechism. And the question is asked, what is baptism? And so the answer, baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And so the next question, well, which word of God is that? Where do you get this from? And he would quote Matthew 28. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, baptism is not just plain water. And uh, the word baptize in the Greek is uh, baptizo. It means to wash. And it does not specify the form or the mode of washing. And uh, I'll note this uh, use of the word in, in Mark chapter 7 verse 4 and when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash baptizo and there are many other traditions that they observe such as washing baptizoing cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches so sometimes churches bicker back and forth about what's the right way to baptize somebody. Uh, can you just sprinkle water on them? Can you splash water? Can you have to dunk them underwater? Well, it's not specified. It's just applying water. And uh, there were baptizoing dining couches. I don't think, I don't have any pictures, but I don't think they carried the dining couches down to the river and dunked them underwater and, and brought them back in. I think they probably just applied water, right? Washed them uh, by applying the water. Anyway, 
Uh, next slide. Number two, it is the word of God, not the method that gives baptism its divine power. And again, we go to scripture for all of these understandings. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. There it is. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, again, the application of the water with God's word, a means of grace. The Holy Spirit's there doing his thing. Number three, baptism, like all of the means of grace, is intended to comfort sinners and give them the certain hope of everlasting life. It's so amazing to me that God loves us so much that he gives us breath in our lungs, right? Just the gift of life is, is awesome. That he loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Uh, he wants uh, us to be together with him forever. And he had to get, uh, remove the sin stains uh, from our life so we could live in a holy city with a holy God, a sinless, sinless place. Uh, and that God loves us so much that he even gives us this gift of faith in Jesus uh, freely. That's not anything we can earn, and so he gives it to us freely. And then even on top of all of that, he loves us so much that he delivers that faith to us in a way that we can experience here in the world, in this universe, in time and space. And you think about God's word as one of the means of grace, right? We can hear God's word, one of our five senses, right? We can hear God's word. At baptism, we can hear the water dripping and pouring, right? Uh, we can see the water, of course. We can feel the cool water as it runs down our foreheads or if we're submerged, right, the whole body, it's, we can feel that water. And then when we get to uh, Holy Communion, we talk about the bread and the wine, being able to taste and even smell uh, these means, these real, real concrete uh, ways in which God delivers his grace to us. So there's never any doubt about, oh, I wonder if God has done his good work. I wonder if God delivered his grace to me. We don't ask it maybe in that way, but uh, you know, we ask, am I saved? Does God love me? Uh, yes, and I remember when it happened, or I can look at the date when it happened, or even last week and the next week when I come to church and I hear God's words of forgiveness over and over again. It's actually happening to me in time. I experience it with my five senses. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. All right, lastly, as a note here uh, before we move on. Uh, so repentance is a daily returning to your baptism. And that's an interesting way of thinking about it. In which the old Adam, that old sinful person, is drowned, and we die anew to our sin, and we rise, I'd say, anew to live as God's righteous new creations. So even when we repent of our sins, uh, we are recalling God's certain work in baptism uh, where the, again, that old Adam, that sinful nature was drowned and that new nature, that Christ nature, that righteousness that we're clothed in from Jesus, 
uh, we are new creations, uh, and we can remind ourselves of that every single day. As a matter of fact, uh, Martin Luther, a uh, great reformer, uh, talked about how he would get up in the morning and, uh, like many people, kind of wash their face, hands, kind of you know, wake yourself up when you get out of bed. And uh, he made it a habit of, as he washed his face and as he felt the water uh, drip down his face, he would remember. I am baptized. I get up this morning uh, a new creature in Christ. I made mistakes yesterday. Hey, God's forgiven me. And today's a new day. And I am his child. He loves me. He's forgiven me. And I want to love him and love other people in, in the way that he would want me to today. So, a wonderful gift that baptism is, a true means of grace. And I just want to spend the last moments with, a, uh, with you uh, just looking at a little more details about baptism, like uh, common questions that I, that I get a lot. So Lesson 19, I talk about who is to be baptized. Uh, this is debated, again, even among some churches, again, have uh, conversations about that. Uh, but if you read Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and you consider the question, who is to be baptized, uh, it's very clear that there's no exclusions here. It is very inclusive language. If you look at 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, the he I'm sorry, the Greek word there is uh, ethnos. I think of ethnicities, right? All peoples. Go baptize all peoples. Baptism is a gift for every single human being. Uh, regardless of age or cognitive ability or anything, uh, certainly race or nationality, it's, it is a gift that God wants to pour out on the whole planet, uh, all people to be baptized. Uh, some other considerations might be uh, in Luke 18, how they were bringing even infants. Now, this word infant in the Greek is brephe, and brephe uh, was used uh, from a time of being a fetus up to a newborn child. So when they're bringing children to Jesus, it's not just 8, 9, 10, 12, 13-year-olds, uh, infants, brefe. These are newborns that they're bringing to Jesus uh, for, uh, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then in John 3, Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so in infant baptism... Uh, we see the truth that uh, we are saved by grace. It's God's work. It's God's gift to us, to all people. And we cannot earn it by working at enough uh, orphanages or homeless shelters. We cannot earn it by having a high enough cognitive understanding who God is and who Jesus is and the Trinity and you know it's not some bar that we have to cross 
in our thoughts, our words, our actions. Uh, it's impossible for us to earn this. So God gives it to us freely. So all people are to be baptized. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, no matter how old you are, uh, we need to get baptized, right? Uh, when I talk about infant baptism, that's just a beautiful picture. Uh, it's so clear that this is a wonderful gift that God's given to people. And uh, it's God's work. He gives that gift of faith. All right, so lesson 20, uh, just to get through quickly, it's the blessings of baptism. And again, all from Scripture, all from Scripture. So what benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. Well, which words are these, right? Of these promises of God. And so here we go with the, all the scripture verses. Mark 16, 16. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Uh, baptism bestows. Uh, look at uh, Acts 2. Uh, now then, uh, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children. For everyone, for all who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls. So that blank there is the forgiveness of sins. It says it point blank right there. Uh, uh, Paul tells him, uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I said Paul, I meant Peter. Peter tells him. All right, John 3, 1 through 8. Uh, it bestows the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is where Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus. And uh, he says, you're born of water and the Spirit. You can enter the kingdom of God. Uh, baptism bestows salvation. Look at 1 Peter 3. This is, a, this is a good one. Listen up. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus and for us, for our sake. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So here uh, Peter's talking about how uh, that event of Noah and the ark was a foreshadowing of something huge that God was going to do for all people, uh, saving people through water. And so in verse 21, Peter makes this very clear. Baptism, which corresponds to this, that Noah and the ark, now saves you. Baptism now saves saves you. Oh, wait a second. What was that conversation I, you know, I pretended to have with my friend at the beginning of this lesson? I said, uh, baptism saves me. And he said, ah, Jesus saves me. What are you talking about? And I went through the whole thing, the, the water, the cabin. God delivers the same Jesus just through these different conduits, basically, different ways, different means. That's what I mean when I say baptism saves me. Well, I guess I just could have gone to 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Uh, uh, baptism now saves you. And again, 
Peter is not talking about the outward ritual act as you're doing some good work and then ding, you get saved. It's what God is doing in that sacrament. He's delivering his good gifts just as he promised he would. All right, number four. Baptism connects us to Jesus and his death and resurrection. In baptism, God adopts us into his family, the church, the holy Christian church, the universal church. Galatians 3, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Here it is. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Something real happens in baptism. It's not just symbolic. It is, uh, it is an act that God is doing, that the Holy Spirit is participating in and delivering his good gifts in a real tangible way uh, that we experience. We know that God's done his thing because he said, I'm going to do this through baptism. And so you know that I've done my work. It's not up to you. You don't have to have any doubts uh, about what you were supposed to do because you can't do it. And you don't have to doubt, you don't have to doubt uh, God because God never messes up. Isn't that the wonderful confidence and assurance that he gives us? So again, uh, the note here, man is passive in baptism. In other words, we receive this gift. God is active. In other words, God is at work in holy baptism giving a gift. Baptism is not an external symbol of an internal reality. It is the very means by which God gives us new life in his son. And I'll leave you with uh, Romans 6. It talks about how baptism joins us to Christ's death and resurrection. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. What a glorious gift uh, baptism is to each and every person and, and to the whole church. God works through the church to deliver this gift to many, many, many people. Uh, again, if you have any questions about baptism, I hope you'll reach out and ask. And if you want to be baptized, your child, grandchild, a cousin, a brother, a spouse, uh, please uh, let us know here. A good email address is uh, text, T-E-X-T, at dflc.org, and we'll get back to you right away. All right, that's it for this lesson. Thanks for tuning in.